suicide game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Hello out there and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Moran, and my brother JS to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and yes, we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate through those high seas of life. Welcome today to I Fought the Law, Extra Time One. Since I spent... Such an extended period of time. During our last episode, part four uh, of four, I fought the law, opining upon the totality of the idiocy of the U.S. Capitol invasion in January of 2021, admonishing them and speaking of those rioting morons who have since just begun to find out the meaning and the consequences of being able to say, I fought the law and the law won. We find ourselves forced into extra time now for bonus coverage. You know, my fault, of course. But it is my intention to explore in, let's call it differing intensity, three matters and three matters only. Well, you know me. It could be more than three, but I intend to start with three. The Number one, the magnitude of the adverse consequences imposed on these morons who are doing such stupid stuff like deciding to invade the U.S. Capitol, comparing the relative harshness of the penalties to follow, the penalties to be imposed for having done so, you know, relative to the penalties that would have been imposed by other nations had similar moronic actions been taken in other world um, capital, you know, cities, capital cities of the world. That's number one. Number two, the concept of anti-authoritarian behavior and where it ultimately leads. And number three, the rise and fall of General Manuel Noriega and how he became intimately familiar with Bobby Fuller, or at least I should say Bobby Fuller's music. I Fought the Law is probably not one well, he's dead, so it was not one of the general's favorite songs. No, it was not. For reasons that will soon become clear when we cover certain events that took place in 1989. Now, as for those Capitol Hill morons, as previously mentioned, they now, one by one, will likely face intense up close and very personal, very physically taxing and psychologically damaging experiences. A bleak, dark, ominous, frightening future spent within, unlike the friendly confines of Wrigley Field, no, the harsh, unfriendly confines to be found within the U.S., 
federal prison system. Uh-oh. Where their bodies and their time will be expended for the next decade or two in close proximity with and establishing an intimacy with some very, very different kind of men with whom most probably they had not previously been familiar with these prior types upon entry, but whom now in the future post-entry won't be able to say, not any longer, having learned the hard way, the hard way, that people's, men's definition of fun and intimacy is not a universally accepted, recognized, or understood definition, not in the same way. And as a result, has proven to be for them quite an interesting <laughs> emotional and physical challenge for these inmates. Oh boy. I shudder at the thought at just what the capital invading anus members might be experiencing even as we engage here. But there's, there's this to contemplate. There's the absolute and then there's a relative. And you have to take these into consideration. A simple, a simple thought exercise ought to make this point clear. <laughs> Let's assume those same Moose Lodge Club members from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan had decided not to invade the U.S. Capitol, but rather instead had thought it might be extraordinarily interesting and fun to invade and occupy, say, the Kremlin. What then? Well, the, the, question, the question would not, would not be, what would Jesus do? No, the appropriate question to ask in that circumstance is, what would Putin do? And the truth be told, we would not have to ask this question, would we? No, no. We all know the only question in that situation, in that circumstance, is simply how long would one be held in the basement of the Lubyanka prison Closed to the public still today, but open only to the FSB. You know, the successor organization to the Chica, the OGPU, the NKVD, the MGB, and the KGB. And their invited guests. Yeah, yeah. You know, tortured beyond the worst that one could ever imagine. Before then being shot. That such guest of the SFB will be shot is not in doubt and never was in doubt. So I think it, it clear that nobody, nobody will be invading the Kremlin offices anytime soon. You know, Russians don't go to Moose Club lodges, but they do have a well-earned reputation for being a hard-drinking bunch. But still, even inebriated, these guys, they still know the score. The Kremlin, as a result, remains safe from invasion as I speak these words. Yes, it, yes, it is perfectly safe. What about doing this in Beijing? Beijing, things are simple. One disappears. 
poof, gone, forever, the end. Never a peep, never a word. One is simply erased from history. One's immediate family, simply, they will no longer be found in their apartments either. They won't be found anywhere for that matter because they too will be gone, gone forever. The CCCP is serious about these kind of things. They take this stuff seriously, maintaining absolute, complete order and power. And here there can be no hesitation whatsoever in response to threats of any sort, of any kind, at any time. People tow the CCCP line or they simply become unpeople. You might say, unpeople? Yes, one's entire family no longer exists in official Chinese records. They simply have never lived. They're unpeople. You know, what about, what about thinking of invading, say, MBS's royal palace in Saudi Arabia? Are you kidding me? What happens next is you're dead. Saudi history indicates and suggests strongly you will be publicly beheaded, publicly beheaded within 24 hours. There's no doubt about it. Well, I, the, I guess the only uncertainty there, it, there now exists some uncertainty in that MBS recently, in the relatively recent past, unveiled the bone saw from within his toolbox, um, the calculus as to the means by which malcontents are executed now has been expanded, making prediction of the means of one's demise more unclear. I mean, the probability of one's demise remains the same. Absolutely certainty. 100%, you're dead. We just can't know for sure now on any given day just what MBS's personal preference for elimination of state enemies and malcontents might be on that particular morning. Until he, until he actually issues the next execution order. I mean, no one will know. Sword, scimitar, <laughs> sharpened axe. Now, now with the addition of the bone saw, the tools of the trade, we might say, have multiplied. Yes, they have. And given MBS is extremely worldly, he has now probably seen Brian De Palma's wickedly vicious movie Scarface. And if this is so, that he's watched De Palma's Scarface, I think MBS might well have been moved, very impressed by all the terror produced by that shower scene. Whoa. And if so, MBS might well elect to go with the chainsaw option. One more destination, perhaps, that we should consider when, when and if you are deciding to invade a center of government. Let's imagine that the Moose Club Lodge members from Upper Michigan decide now, let's storm the mullahs who are busy at work in Tehran. That's our plan. Well, 
One can only imagine one's fate. So our Capitol Hill invaders, living in fear of repetitive rape and beatings, knifings, that are to be, you know, endured within the U.S. federal prison system. Hey, that would be terrible. It's got to be terrible, horrible. I mean, really, really bad. But think about it. Things could have turned out worse. It's all relative, I guess. Just how one perceives one's fate to be. It's all, you know, it's also very existential. Jean-Paul Sartre and all that. But still, I think of Joseph Conrad's the horror, the horror. But as I as I argued in our last episode, let this be a reminder. One is obligated. One, one really is obligated to analyze the consequences of one's actions before taking those actions. I mean, this going all in on just outright pure crazy stuff is just nutty, plain risky. Bad stuff can happen as a result. Really bad stuff. So think about it. This is what Nietzsche had in mind when he warned his readers, be careful when staring into the abyss because the abyss will stare back into you. Whoa, whoa, this is scary stuff. And while it, it may be argued, say, that a distrust of authority may be one of the fundamental building blocks you know, of civic duty, it cannot be denied that there exists within any society a given percentage of the people who simply find it, you know, constitutionally, and, and, and by constitutionally, I mean, you know, in psychological and behavioral terms, not in the, in the legal sense, in legal terms. They, these people find it impossible to submit to authority, even if it is irrational, to think and act in the manner that they do. Just remember those Capitol Hill moronic rioters. You know, opposition, you know, oppositional defiance disorder. You know, some the modern term, modern operative clinical term that defines people who simply refuse. They simply refuse. They can't or won't conform to either law or custom. I mean, this is basically, it's the, I have plenty of rights that I will exercise, but you must recognize that I recognize no duties to you or to anybody else. It's that kind of crowd. And this is not simply confined to the loon left or the far right, you know, typology. These are simply extremist, ultimate, you know, libertarians, anarchists, nihilists in opposition to all authority, refuseniks, outright refuseniks, outlaws, outlaws who will find I fought the law and eventually that the law won. This is what they're going to find out. They, they recognize neither law nor morality. And it is essentially a philosophically and it's a societal approach that is inherently unsupportable and unsustainable. I mean, that is totally clear. In reality, such an outlook on life, such an outlaw mentality, 
generates conflict, violence, chaos, anarchy. A fully functioning society ceases to exist. And this is a big problem. It proves impossible in the face of such an attitude and behavior. And if prevalent enough and left unchecked, uh-oh, nature abhors a vacuum, these kind of circumstances. And it's out of such societal dysfunction that chaos grows and festers. I mean, think the Congo or, or Venezuela, Somalia, Sierra Leone, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Mali, Colombia. Eventually, there will emerge out of this madness strong men, real strong men, gangster types, ruthless tyrants whom will outmuscle the other tough guys and take, uh, you know, assume the king of the hill status. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, it's not fight, fighting the law and winning. It's abrogating the law. Or worse, it's becoming the law. Illustration, think Stalin, that homicidal maniac. You might even consider Putin these days. Yes, theory holds and this is theory only, but theory holds that tyranny, tyrants, you know, tyranny is superior to anarchy because, well, because despite the ex existence of outrageous brutality, there exists in under tyranny some degree of law and order. And as such, some rule, some order, no matter how illegitimate or how poor or how arbitrary, that situation, that circumstance is superior to attempting to try to eke out an unpredictable, very tenuous existence in an environment completely devoid of any semblance of either law or order. Rules. Rules, law and order of some sort, of any sort, in, increases predictability. And in life, this is a good thing. Predictability is a good thing. Enhanced predictability makes the human experience far more tolerable, far less stressful than does life under which, you know, might makes right rules by which complete arbitrariness keeps one permanently insecure. Devoid of law and order, the philosophical building blocks upon which a civilization depends, you know, any semblance of stable society cannot, under those circumstances, be maintained. Under tyrants, concepts of, of equity, of equality, and fairness, and justice, that proves fluid, fluid at best. But there exists less arbitrariness under a dictator than under a state of complete anarchy. It's still scary, but it's better. <laughs> However, having said that, life under Nero, Caligula, Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Pol Pot, and now Putin, they they exist as evidence, you know, notable contra-arguments that perhaps invalidate the idea 
you know, the truth and validity of the generalized notion that some rule is better than none. Because when you get these guys, whoa, trouble is about to happen. You know, homicidal maniacs they are. But, but I must say, here we are at the end of the first extra time. You know, extra time has expired and still, still, I have yet to touch upon pineapple face. Pineapple face, you might ask. Yes, well, I will explain when we move into I Fought the Law, the second extra time. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you'll be back. Gotta go. Bye-bye. I'm lost in a drift on the high seas.